there's a big difference between affiliate marketing, between a deal and a partnership. Affiliate marketing is typically a one-way relationship where you're advertising for somebody else and they're paying you if there's a direct purchase. We have to remember that, right? And we see a lot of that. I mean, and that's fine. That's fine. And that certainly adds to your bottom line. But I don't know if that's really, you know, that's not a super big deal. And I would, I would tell you, in that case, you better be transparent and picky about who you affiliate market for, because otherwise, you know, your audience, the people that trust you are likely going to trust you less. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Phil Gerbyshack. Phil knows sales. He's a sales speaker, a sales expert, a sales trainer, a sales leader, mentor, a sales podcaster, and a sales coach. He's written five books, more than 3,000 articles, has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Daily Globe, and Mail, Financial Times, Investors Business Daily, Inc., and many other publications, including three covers, Speaker Magazine, Marketing Media and Money, and Social Selling Made Easy. Uh, Phil's known as uh, a sales leadership and technology authority with a particular expertise in LinkedIn and social selling. He's currently VP of of sales and training at Vector Solutions, where he's served over 150 sales professionals across North America. Phil's also a fellow National Speakers Association member, which is where where I know him from, uh, and always uh, a fun guy to talk to and a brilliant guy. So Phil, I am thrilled to have you on the program. Oh, thanks, Corey. It's great to be here, man. So listen, um, you know, we're going to get into a discussion of, uh, you know, of sales and deals. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of times I talk about organic growth and, and I say, you know, an organic growth, like I said in the intro, you know, that is sales and marketing. But even salespeople do deals uh, of various types. So we'll get there. But before we go there, I want to bring you back to when you were a little kid growing up. And when you were 8, 10, 12 years old, what did you want to be? Because I don't know, uh, maybe it was a sales trainer, but I have a feeling maybe it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, def- definitely not. You know, I never thought that, but I did absolutely think I was either going to be a professional baseball player or I was going to be a teacher. So I'm a teacher now. So that, that really makes sense. So the baseball career didn't, didn't quite work out, huh? Yeah, I stopped growing. I got in a car accident, Corey, the day that I got my driver's license and that effectively wow. ended my baseball career. Wow. Wow. And uh, what was, how have you defined this? What was your first real business? Let's see. So my first business or my first job? Well, uh, how, you know, I mean, uh, if you had a business, your first business. Sure. Well, my, so my first business was I was a management and leadership consultant. I had a blog that got over half a million hits a month that I was partnered on it with a joint venture with David Zinger. It was called Slacker Manager. We got a ton of hits and I was doing management leadership consulting off of that. And that was uh, that was very very interesting and very very challenging. 
Interesting. All right. So now in terms of what you're doing now, I mean, we, you know, we, we gave the overview in your, uh, in your intro there in your bio, uh, but, uh, you know, talk to us, tell us a little bit more about the, the various things you're doing now. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into some of the deals you're working on. Sure. So, well, speaking certainly is my thing. I still, uh, even though I'm the VP of, of sales training for Vector, they still allow me to to not talk to my competitors, but do talk to others, uh, other teams, other companies, other associations that might have a need for some branding or some sales or some marketing insight for me. Because that's that's my background uh, in that, as we mentioned. So I do a lot of that speaking. I do a lot of that training. I'm able to do some joint venture stuff. And now, right now, as the VP of sales training for Vector, my job is to talk to all of our different constituents, all of our different business units. We have three business units, five, five locations, and to train all those folks, sometimes in person, sometimes remotely via Zoom or go to meeting and helping them everything from onboard to doing uh, quarterly kind of tune-ups to make them even more effective to helping at the national sales meeting. Uh, to new products that we might buy, new companies that we do. We bought 10 companies in 2018. So we're still working to integrate all of those. We bought two and two in 2019. And we likely will buy some more in 2020. So I get to train all those sellers about how to sell the Becker way. And it's a lot of fun. So I, so I love that. I mean, so first of all, what I'm hearing is, you know, I always talk about organic growth versus inorganic growth or deal-driven growth. And, uh, and you know, I, I stress that every company needs to have organic growth. They need to have sales and marketing, right? If you can't sell yeah. your product or service, you can't be in business. Um, but every company's trying to do that. And, you know, and it's great that obviously, you know, that's your expertise and you help people do that. And that's absolutely crucial. And then I talk also about, well, in addition to that, um, you know, a much smaller percentage of the companies grow inorganically through deals. And so it's, you know, it looks like, you know, so you said vectors then like the 10 deals. So that's, you know, so they're, they're, you know, you guys are a sales company that has, uh, grown, I'm, I'm sure through your own sales, because if you teach other people to do it, <laughs> I'm sure you do, but also through deals. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to do both ways. I mean, there's, there's no way anymore to just do it by organic growth unless you're on some sort of lucky rocket ship. I mean, it's really, really tough. So that inorganic growth is, expands your, you know, your addressable market, it expands your reach, it helps you go deeper uh, into solving better solutions. And it, and it ultimately adds to your bottom line, because the bigger the problem that you solve, the more you get paid for it. It's just pretty simple. So, um, and, you know, I, I, obviously anything you're comfortable speaking about versus not, you know, is, is all yeah. good. But, you know, in, in terms of those uh, deals that, that, that have been done on the vector side, you know, uh, can you give us some insight into, you know, some, some companies do deals to just expand in size, some it's geographical play, some it's to get into different markets or bring in different key expertise. Um, you know, what, 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 what has been driving some of the acquisitions that, uh, that Vector's done? Well, I've only been here nine months, so I, I can speak for what I've seen and what I've heard. And that is, uh, we're not geographically driven. We're definitely industry driven. And we're also to add a, a, a wider range of products. So uh, as we buy technology, because we're really a technology company. So as we buy uh, organizations, as you buy other companies, right? The goal is that we have that we get some product that can uh, integrate with our existing solution to then go deeper with the existing companies that we have, with the existing customers that we have. So, for instance, uh, we have uh, you know we have a, a Check It program, Check It product that is basically a, it's a checklist, and that could be used initially for firefighters, could be used for police, could be used you know in schools, it could be used 
in construction, could be used in manufacturing, lots of different places. But initially, that product was only in one spot. So things like that, that's ways that we can expand the, the footprint. And, that, and that's really been the focus there is I, haven't, I don't believe that we've done any uh, just to buy tech uh, for tech's sake. Typically, it's to buy tech to deepen and to widen out. Yeah, so so you can expand expand the offering, you know, to, right. to clients, and yeah, which is which is a great reason to do a deal, right? You know, to absolutely, uh, you know, because you know companies can build that kind of capacity in house, but it takes time, and and you know you got to get the right people, and and uh, sometimes it's much more efficient to to buy it. That's right, absolutely, absolutely. If existing people that do that are really good at what they do, so why not you know partner with them and and bring them in, and then help them help you integrate. So uh, now I know, um, you know, because you and I know each, uh, each other a bit, uh, actually more than a bit, but, you know, uh, and you mentioned um, when we were discussing a little earlier, you've got a uh, something else you're working on, uh, you know, a particular joint venture that sounds really interesting. So uh, let's let's talk about that. Sure. So I'm, I'm I partnered with Naftali Hoff, who is the author of Becoming the New Boss, basically advice and insights on being a more effective new leader. Well, as I work with sales professionals, Sales leaders, especially, are ill-equipped to be in the position they have because often they were the top sales person, not the best leader. So they really need that help. So I'm partnering with Naftali to create uh, becoming the new sales boss. How that advice for new sales leaders because new sales leaders they they just it's really tough that even the transition from me to we right the transition from hey I've got my quota to we need to achieve our quota and here's how we do it is such a hard conversation because not everybody sells the same way. So you can't just hire or train people to be exactly like you. You have to train them and hire them to bring the best them forward because people buy them. They're not buying you or buying you through them. It's really different. So we're working on that. We're going to start, you know, we've done, we did our first uh, free webinar recently. Uh, we're going to do some more free webinars. Uh, we're going to write a book together. We're going to create a workbook, a really great intensive resource guide, then doing some speaking around that and ultimately uh, providing some uh, consulting and some coaching services around that so that sales leaders can be more effective. Because like I said, I mean, I'm super passionate about making sales suck less. That's really my big thing. I, I, don't, want, I don't want sales leaders to go wandering off aimlessly in the dark. I know it's really hard because they don't have a lot of peers in their organization or they, they don't know how to transition from them to, to the team. It's very, very difficult. So I'm fortunate that I do have that experience. Uh, I have Naftali to lean on for a lot of his process and his framework. And together, we're going to create something really great. Yeah. So, you know, this is something that I'm, you know, you, you talked about what you're passionate about. This is something that I'm really passionate about is because a lot of times when people think about deals, they think about big mergers and acquisitions or big financing deals. And, and uh, you know, oh, those are for companies that are much bigger than mine, or, you know, I'm not in that position. I'm a small service company or I'm a, you know, whatever I am. Right. And the areas of strategic alliances and joint ventures I feel is one of the most underutilized, uh, you know, areas in, you know, in deals. Uh, and, and that could be done at any size. I mean, I've had people on the podcast who are, you know, did deals in, in the month one of their business, right? Um, you know, I had Julia Pimsel on who talked about how she was months into our business uh, uh, with uh, language learning for kids and was able to strike a, you know, a deal with, uh, with PBS uh, because they didn't have language. Uh, back then it was on, uh, you know, it was, it was not digital. It was, uh, it was on like DVDs. Um, and um, so, you know, I guess, you know, especially for somebody who's in the world of, of organic growth sales so much, um, 
what had you, uh, you know, come to this uh, idea that, hey, I should, you know, partner joint venture with somebody, enter the strategic alliance and, and, and you know, and have, uh, you know, one plus one equals three or 30. Uh, you know, uh, like how does that, I want to talk about that mentality that had you think about why you did this, because I think so many people don't make that jump and it's such a, um, you know, fruitful area if more people um, uh, did think about it. Well, I've tried a bunch of them in the past. And to be honest, Corey, they really haven't worked because mm-hmm. I think I've really tried to partner myself with people like me, like people that have the same strengths as me, because that's very familiar to me. And sure. this time I purposely found someone who's quite different from me. Naftali is very, very a detail focused. He's very, very deadline focused. He's very driven uh, to pushing this project forward. He's done a great job of keeping us on track, of keeping the timeline straight, things like that. Often I get sucked into the big idea and then I get lost and then we don't handle the details. So the mindset shift for me that had to happen is I had to recognize that I'm not good at everything and that I'm willing to accept help from somebody who's different from me. That was the big thing for me. And that's, that is a, that's a seismic shift in my brain. And it's been really a good one as well. So, um, so, you know, you said you had some others that didn't work out and, and you already gave a hint, you know, that it was just people who were too much like you. Um, you know, what are some of the other lessons, uh, if you can think of any that, you know, that come from, uh, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I'm one of those people who I know it's a cliche, but I really believe in it is that, you know, you either, you know, succeed or you learn. Right. Uh, yeah. and you know, there's, there's no, you know, there's no real failure. It's, it's just, uh, you know, uh, unless of course you're totally unconscious and don't, you know, take in the lessons and keep repeating them. Um, so, you know, what are some of the lessons that you got out of the, uh, the prior deals that you did, uh, in addition to obviously looking for somebody different than you? Are there any other, uh, any other lessons that you have from those best experiences? Sure. Well, well one is to, to not jump into the business too quick, but to be willing to have kind of a trial period. I had a relationship, a business relationship that uh, went south pretty quick. And had I jumped in, I would have taken on a lot of her debt. And I'm really grateful that I didn't. Uh, so, you know, having that trial period, testing things out, walk uh, before you run, I think is really a big lesson for me. Uh, one of the other ones is don't get seduced by slick marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, people that produce slick marketing, you, you can go to Fiverr for 50 bucks and get something really nice. Doesn't mean that you have any substance behind it. So that's a lesson that I learned as well. I got seduced by some slick marketing. And then trust but verify, you know, call people's uh, references to find out if that's really the case, if they really have that. Now, with Naftali, I'm really fortunate because he's got a book and he's got just a huge body of work that's super visible. So it's real easy for me to see in a transparent way what he's done there. Um, as far as you know, the walk piece, uh, certainly you know, just probably go 50-50 at least out of the gate to see how this looks, splitting all of our expenses down the middle. But long-term, you know, we have to then think about, okay, so what is the right legal structure? Because frankly, um, that that could be a big challenge. I've been fortunate that everything to date has been just kind of a 50-50. Otherwise, I, I'd be, I, like you said, I'd be really sunk with other people's debt. So those are some of the lessons that I learned. And then the, the, the last lesson that I'd share is you have to remember that you don't, like friends is great, but business is often separate. So you have to be really careful of not just not just liking the person for being the person, but also liking the person for being different than you and having some insight that you don't have. Uh, those are some of the lessons that I learned. And, and they've, they've certainly kept my eyes open in this one uh, with, with this new partnership. 
you know, I, I, I think those are all great lessons. And I, I often, like on the first one you mentioned, I often express it to my clients to say, Hey, listen, maybe you want to date before you get married. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, so maybe you can have, before you enter, you know, into a business partnership and maybe, you know, put up a new company together. Maybe, maybe you can have some sort of strategic alliance or joint venture or just contractual relationship to start with. Uh, you know, and, and listen, sometimes it's appropriate to go right into a full deal, but you know, a lot of times, um, there are ways you can do it where you can get to know each other. You know, the other, the other, uh, aspects that you mentioned, um, the second one you mentioned, then at the end, you know, again, is what we lawyers call due diligence, right? Making sure you do your due diligence. Absolutely. Uh, you know, on the partner, not only, you know, there's legal due diligence, there's financial due diligence, there's uh, personal due diligence, there's, you know, there's cultural due diligence, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, yeah. And then obviously, uh, you know, uh, figuring out um, what the right skills, you know, are, et cetera, and then figuring out the deal structure. So yeah, those are all great lessons, Phil. Great stuff. Um, so what are your other thoughts on, um, you know, the opportunities for whether it's speakers, whether it's um, uh, small business owners, whether it's salespeople, uh, you know, uh, to, to do deals, to grow, to grow their, uh, their businesses, to improve their careers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, asking yourself the why is an important question. Like, why do I want to partner with this person? Why do I want to grow? Is it growth for my sake? Is it growth for some, you know, because I think that's what the market wants because I want to serve more people. I mean, why do you want to grow? And then flip that over and why not grow? Like, why not just stay where you are? There's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want, but ask yourself those questions. And often you'll either sell, you'll sell yourself on one way or the other. That's one of the big ones uh, that I would recommend. And then you know, find a mentor or someone trusted that you can bounce ideas off of. As the deal gets bigger, the stakes get higher. As the stakes get higher, the stress gets more. And sometimes we get so close to it that we just can't get the insight that we need from ourselves. We have to get outside, right? We have to get that from somebody outside of our head, outside of our, uh, you know, direct skin in the game. So someone that, that maybe can be a little bit more objective. And then I think one of the last big things that I would say is, understand that it's going to take time and it's going to take money and it's going to take effort and it still might not work. Be okay with that, and but be willing to put in that time and that money and that effort to making it work. Because if you go into it you know, halfway, it's probably not going to ever work no matter what you do. So go in all the way, or at least as, as much of all the way as you can with your effort anyway, and give it what you have so that you get a fair shot to win. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, and and the conversation of mentors is is one that I just love. You know, it's not, it's certainly true in the deal area, but it's uh, but it's true in every aspect of business and life, right? Uh, you know, so um, you know, and you can name names if you want. You don't have to name names, but you can. You know, uh, who you know who who are some of your mentors, and how do you uh, how do you go about uh, you know choosing them, finding them, or having them find you, and 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 also uh, you know I love the conversation about how people engage mentors because I think a lot of young folks, especially, and I don't want to date you or I, uh, you know, to say we're not young, <laughs> but uh, but so, you know some young folks approach mentorship in what I think is the wrong way, where they. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the people who are the best mentors are people who are uh, have a lot of demands on their time, usually, and are very busy. And there's a way to make, uh, you know, to to have them be willing and make that successful. That sometimes young folks don't uh, know. So I'd love you to, you know, how do you how do you how do you get your mentors, uh, and how do you work with them? Yeah, well, so some some of my mentors uh, come in because I just see that they have something that I need. One of my mentors, actually, Corey, you know, I miss Joel Block. Sure, Joel is fantastic. He's super smart at business. I, 
Joel even calls me his little brother because I certainly look up to him. Now, the good thing about our relationship is it is two-way. I mean, there's things that I know that Joel doesn't know and things that Joel knows that I don't know. So while I certainly look to him for mentorship, a lot of times I'm able to help him as well. And that really helps because it isn't in business often that I can help. I mean, I, I can't I can't do deals better than him. He's certainly, you know, he knows more about the accounting laws than I'm ever going to know. He's raised more money uh, likely than I'm ever going to raise. Uh, but I can do other things that can help him, right? I, I helped him publish his, his book, uh, you know, stop uh, st- what it stop selling gigs and start building a business. I helped with that. So that's where, you know, that's where I can get back to him. And so that's, that's one thing as you're looking for mentors, see if there's any way that you can give something back to them. Yeah, I love that. And before before you go on to any other lessons, I'll, yeah, I mean that two way street thing is great. And I, I will mention that uh, that Joel Block for you know for people who've joined the uh, let's start to listen to the podcast more recently. I mean, we're, this is going to be ex- episode sixty something. Um, we had Joel Block on episode four um, mm. of the podcast of Fueling Deals. So if you want to go back to episode four and hear about uh, about Joel and, and and his experience in finance and deals and real estate, uh, listeners, you can go go all the way back to episode four of the Fueling Deals podcast. So what uh, what other uh, what other thoughts on working with mentors, uh, the, uh, if any, uh, do you have, Phil? Yeah, well, so being aware that often the biggest gift that we can give back to our mentors is that gift to follow up. So after they give us some advice, then following up and letting them know how it worked for us. And typically, we actually have to do it, right? I mean, that's the thing is we don't ask for advice and then give me 57 reasons why it doesn't work. Right. Try it, right? I mean, you ask for advice. If someone comes to me for mentorship, right? I want them to actually do what I recommended. Otherwise, it's not mentorship. Otherwise, you know, if you want to take a survey, just post it to Facebook. I mean, who cares, right? You're, you're not really valuing my time or my, uh, my expertise if you're doing that. So that's one of the things that I had to learn early on is that if I'm going to someone that I know has an expertise, I should actually try what they, what they suggest and then report back. Give them that gift to follow up. Hey, Joel, this really worked well for me. Thank you so much for that. Or, hey, you know, Corey, this didn't work so well. Here's why I think, you know, what, what did I do wrong? And sometimes really it is just a matter of nuance. We have to remember that. I mean, often business is art as much as it is science. And, and that nuance, just even the tone of voice that you ask for something can change the whole deal and can change the whole conversation and change how you do things. So that's, that's one of the big ones that give the follow-up and actually doing what they say. And then I guess I'll, I'll give one more when it, when it comes to finding mentors. And that is seek out only as many mentors as you actually can spend time with getting advice from and not so many that it clouds your thinking. You can't have 10 or 20 mentors. Two or three is probably all you can really have at one time because you can't move every aspect of your business together. Otherwise, you put that together. Now you're putting together like a kitchen cabinet or a board of directors and you're probably going to have to pay them for that. So you can pay for mentors, but you got to be really careful because you get too many people that are weighing in. You're you're not going to make a decision. You're going to end up spending more time trying to build consensus and less time trying to actually do the work. And I've, I've been guilty of that. So I, I can share that that certainly is a pain in the butt and it does not work. 
You know, it's interesting on both those points in reverse order. Um, you know, we see that a lot. I mean, I just got back from winter conference for, you know, National Speakers Association. And, uh, you know, there were there were some, uh, I mean, a lot of very experienced speakers there, uh, you know, our, our long-term members and successful speakers. But there are also some newer speakers there. And, uh, you know, w- one guy in particular I spent a bunch of time with, and, you know, he was really, I mean, what I loved about him, he had a thirst for learning. He was asking everybody questions. And a lot of people, you know, contributed to him. Uh, and, um you know, but one of the warnings I gave him and others gave him was, listen, you're going to come out with a hundred different things from this conference, right? You're not going to be able to implement a hundred things. You know, if you pick one or two, two or three and really do them. And also you're going to hear a hundred different opinions on, on 50 different business models. And, you know, you gotta, you know, you can't do it, you know, and it's going to get you confused unless you really tap into what resonates with you. So, you know, I love that advice. I think it, it applies the same way in mentorship. We certainly see it in the speaking industry. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Really important, right? Pick pick your future mentors carefully and don't choose too many. And and then, you know, with regard to your first point about, you know, follow up and, uh, and you know, really trying and taking the advice of the mentors, uh, you know, I, I think for me, the reason, uh, you know, another way to address it, I know when I'm a mentor and I and when I've been mentored, you know, a, a lot of mentors have got to the point where they don't have to do it. They're successful. They, they do it because they want to contribute. And if you're not... Um, doing the work and you're not following up and reporting back, then they don't get that satisfaction of being able to contribute. And, and then, you know, like you said, if they're not paid, whatever, and why are they bothering? You know, so uh, I think that's great advice as well, Phil. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So uh, as we, you know, uh, come towards wrapping up here uh, before I uh, uh, do the last two things, um, any other thoughts that you have that you want to share in terms of whether it's, uh, you know, on deals or even, or even, you know, uh, it, within your expertise of sales, uh, you know, any, any hot issues that you're, you're, you've been thinking about or anything else you want to give to the audience here? Um, well, I would say, you know, there's a big difference between affiliate marketing, between a deal and a partnership. Uh, affiliate marketing is typically a one-way relationship where you're advertising for somebody else and they're paying you if there's a direct purchase. We have to remember that, right? And we see a lot of that. I mean, and that's fine. That's fine. And that certainly adds to your bottom line. But I don't know if that's really, you know, that's not a super big deal. And I would I would tell you, in that case, you have to, you better be transparent and picky about who you affiliate market for, because otherwise, you know, your audience, the people that trust you are likely going to trust you less. I mean, I got a I got a, uh, an email this week of someone who their whole Instagram is filled with nothing but pictures of women in bikinis. And now they're starting a men's line and they want to give me a free watch to be one of their partners. I can't find these watches anywhere except on their website where they're giving them away for free. So I'm like, huh, yeah, I don't think so. That's, that's not a good deal. That's not a good opportunity for my audience to be served. So I'm not signing up for that. But if that is you, right, if that's something that works for you, then that's great. But you have to be really particular about that. So be wary of that. When we think about then, you know, on the other side, swing it all the way the other way, that partnership, be careful. Don't jump into too many partnerships. Be really careful if you're new, right? As you get more experience, of course, you can, can certainly get out of this. This is more advice from new folks. And then in the middle of that, where you're talking, you know, smaller deals, you can do little things, right? You can co-author a book. It isn't going to cost you you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Well, it shouldn't cost you a hundred thousand dollars. Book, I guess it could, right? I can, I can imagine the ways that waste your money that way, but I would not recommend that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could, you know, you can get in a smaller deal and test it out before you get into a big deal. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Let, let's just spend one more minute because the, the affiliate marketing uh, uh, thing is something that I've seen work so well for some people and, and really not work for others, right? And, yep. and you know, a lot of them I've seen, I mean, first of all, people are shocked that very often, I mean, every deal is different, but but very very often uh, affiliates will take 50%, half of, you know, of, of the revenue that comes in um, from whatever product, service, seminar, you know, uh, workshop, uh, event you're selling. Um, and the ones I've seen it do it effectively, you know, are sort of alluding to some of the things you already, you know, or um, uh, focus on some of the things you already alluded to, um, which is, you know, if, if it's a limited number and it's really, really on brand and it's really valuable, um, you know, to the audience and it's consistent, you know, it's not out of the blue and it, there's not a million of them because you lose credibility if you're endorsing a hundred people, you know, but if there's a handful of them and, I, and I've seen some of, the, for example, the big personal growth speakers, uh, you know, was the Jack Canfields or the Bob Proctors or the, you know, the, you know, uh, Brian Tracy's, you know, they, 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 over the years they cross endorse each other, but there's only a handful of them doing it. Um, and the products that they're, you know, that they're, uh, pushing services are consistent with their brand. Um, and I've, you know, I, I've seen those deals, uh, work, but a lot of people go down the wrong road on these affiliate deals. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Right. I mean, if it's not aligned with your brand, don't sign up for it. That's the big thing. You, you And don't partner with someone just because they have a huge audience, right? Find someone whose audience is complementary to yours and, and really is the audience that you want to be building, right? If you look at that, you're like, man, who's, who's liking all their social media? Who's buying from them? And you find out that it's nobody that you can even recognize. Well, the chances are that's not going to be a good fit for you. So just buyer beware. There's certainly some charlatans out there that look like they're good players, and they aren't. So you can totally get burned in affiliate marketing too. Yeah, totally. And, and then on the flip side, you know, if it is really the right, you know, player and the right audience, then, you know, I always say, say to uh, people who come to me, paying them the 50% up front, you got to realize that you get that good audience into your ec- ecosystem, into your database, into your funnels, that you'll be able to sell them other things later. So it's actually, you know, in, in the limited situations where you make pick the right partner with the right audience, um, you know, I, I don't think people should be scared to give away 50% of that initial sale. Not, not at all. Not at all, right? And, and frankly, with the right audience, 50% of, a, of $100,000 is way more than 100% of $1,000. You have to remember that. Right, exactly, exactly. I love it. Hey, Phil. So before I ask you my final question on, that I always ask on the podcast, um, if people want to, you know, reach out to you, find out more about all the things you're doing, your 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 sales training, your books, your you know everything else, what's the best place for them to uh, to find that information about you? Well, if the easiest way is actually to find me on LinkedIn. I mean, you could go to philgerbishak.com, but if you want to actually interact with me, go to LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Gerbishak, G E R B Y S H A K. You'll find me there. Real easy to find. Happy to have a conversation. You can follow me. You can connect with me. Tell me you heard me on Corey's show so we can have a conversation there. I post a lot of content there. I try to, you know, two or three days a week, try to share some good content. And I'm pretty active as far as uh, commenting back. So love to have a conversation with you there. Yeah, and, and I will say I definitely follow a lot of Phil's stuff, and it's it's quality it's quality stuff, folks. He's not he's not just putting out a bunch of a bunch of garbage. So you know it's definitely worth following with you know following and interacting. It's it's really quality uh, quality content that Phil puts out. Thank you. So Phil, my final question that I always ask people on the podcast is uh, one of my highest values is authenticity, and for me that doesn't mean some sort of external system of values or morals, but it's sort of a, alignment within a truth and 
and really, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the why, you know, you brought up the why, which is something I bring up all the time. And I find, you know, like a lot of people end up uh, doing things for the wrong reasons and, and, you know, it's not true enough to who they are. So, uh, you know, what does authenticity mean to you and how do you, um, and how does it impact how you make your business decisions and your deal decisions and your life decisions? Yeah. Well, for me, authenticity is a congruence with your values. So, you know, alignment is a great word, congruence, whatever. I, I think that's right on the money. That starts with understanding what your values are, though. So once we understand those, then your values becomes your lens through which you look through every decision. And so for me, one of my big values is connection. If I can connect with someone that I really admire, someone that has value, someone who is a genuine person who, even if they just ask for help, if I can connect... I probably will make that business decision. And if I can't, I probably won't. Same with learning, right? That's another one of my big values. I'm a big lifelong learner. And so sometimes I might take one that maybe I don't have the greatest connection with, but if I know that I can learn from them, if I see that they've got some value, right, that's going to help me. So every time that I make a business decision, I ask myself, so is this in alignment? Is this congruent with what I'm doing? If it's not, with my values, right? If, if it's not, then I say, no, I, I'm not going to do it. And if I say yes, then I'm going to give it my best effort. I'm going to work on it because one of my values is discipline, right? You have to do the right thing, even when nobody's looking. It goes beyond integrity, I think, for me, right? And that's for me. Discipline is for me. Integrity is what everybody else sees. But discipline's for me. It's a promise that I make to myself. So I have to be disciplined. If I say yes, I've got to do it. I've got to do it all the way. And so that's that's how I see things. And so the more aligned, the more congruent things are with my values, the easier it is to say yes. And the, the less aligned, actually, the easier it is to say no. I love it. So yeah, connection, lifelong learning, and discipline. Those are great. Those are great values. And I'll tell you, folks, uh, when I joined National Speakers Association and uh, uh, later that year went to my first uh, uh, annual conference, which we call Influence, uh, I think it was the first day. I didn't know, uh, you know, I knew some of the people from New York, whatever, but I didn't know a lot of the people nationwide at that point. And I remember walking into a very crowded restaurant at the hotel uh, that the Influence Conference was at. And there were a bunch of folks, of course, we all had badges for the conference, so we knew we were at the same thing. And there was this guy sitting there with, uh, I think it was orange glasses uh, yep. at that time. And, uh, and uh, next thing I know, he looked at me and he said, you meet anybody? I'm like, uh, no, I was going to get some needs. Like, come join us. So, you know, uh, from day one, Phil, you evidenced that value of connection. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, I remember that too, Corey. It was great there, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, Phil, I, I really appreciate you having on uh, having you on the podcast and, uh, and all the value that you brought to our listeners. Thank you for having me on, Corey. It was a good time. And thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor. Other than that, the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.